You're listening to Live Wild with me, Hilary Rose. This podcast is an invitation to investigate your life from the ground up. That's why I spoke with my next guest, Fergal Smith from Moyhill Farm. Fergal is a former big wave pro surfer turned regenerative farmer. He and his family run the beautiful Moyhill Farm in County Clare. We chat about his time on the surf circuit, the difference between organic farming and regenerative farming, soil depletion and how it affects our health, living your values and the simple life. But there's a, there's a nice saying, it's not the cow, it's the how. And it's because nice. it certainly isn't the cow's fault or the sheep's fault or, or whatever. Um, it's how we manage them. So currently it's this massive, you know, huge input system into animals. But essentially, uh, we were talking about herbivores like ruminant animals. They eat grass and grass grows from sunlight and rain mm-hmm. and cows or sheep or goats or deer, lots of different things will eat it. And they're like their action of being a herd and walking across the land and trampling and dunging and urinating builds soil. That is how the planet was created. That is how soil was built. It wasn't from growing vegetables in straight lines. It was from massive, massive herds of animals being chased by predators. Fergal is a true inspiration. He practices what he preaches and lives his values every day and I greatly admire that. This chat was so illuminating for me. His knowledge of land, food and the regenerative farming system really blows my mind. I hope you all enjoy this interview as much as I did and I hope you feel inspired by it. If you'd like more info on Fergal and all that he does, go to moyhillfarm.com. And now, here's the show. Virgil Smith, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. I know how busy you are in the land and I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time out to chat because uh, you practice what you preach and you you are on the land constantly. So uh, I appreciate it. I know. Thank you, Hilary. Thanks for having me. Not at all. My pleasure. Um, so when I was looking into your background, obviously you're former pro wave surfer or still a pro wave surfer because you never lose those skills. Um, But you're also a regenerative farmer. So like those two things don't normally go hand in hand. Obviously, as a pro surfer, you would have traveled the world, which meant away all the time. And now as a regenerative farmer, you're on the land all the time, which means you're kind of in one position. How did you marry the two? And I guess, can you talk us through your background Um as a pro surfer and what was the catalyst that switched you into becoming a farmer? Yeah, um, it is definitely two different lifestyles, that's for sure. Um, but I suppose the thing you got to remember for me is I grew up on a, an organic vegetable farm, so it's not actually that new to me, the lifestyle. Um, so the big uh, kind of strange thing is that I became a professional surfer. That's the strange thing coming from a small little farm in outside Westport in County Mayo, like, and having a dream of being a professional surfer, that was a bit wild. And so, yeah, I grew up on a farm. I always loved helping my dad on the farm and my neighbours. So it was always something I loved doing. But, yeah, I got the surfing bug from, you know, we started going to Ackle from when I was young and always loved it. And then, yeah, kind of just dreamed I could go and chase waves around the world and, 
have a lifestyle of being a pro surfer and all this and i i just yeah i suppose i would i wouldn't call myself like the best surfer in the world or skill wise but i'm certainly very determined so when i put my head down to do something i generally will keep trying until i get there so yeah i just kept going and then somehow i left school and started traveling and managed to get sponsors and chase the world um having a ball yeah it was great and i loved every bit of it and it really was a dream come true to imagine yourself surfing the best waves in the world and then actually doing it and like i had this real vision and goal to um go to the best waves in the world see the best surfers in the world mm. and then try and bring that knowledge back to ireland and try and then surf ireland's best waves which are the best waves in the world as well but at the time there was very few people pushing you know the boundaries of uh, our waves here in ireland so i was kind of going away to learn from the best and then trying to take some of that kind of knowledge and then try it on our waves and yeah i did that for quite some time and then you kind of do it and then you kind of go around the next season and you do it again and then it started to creep in like well like well, what's enough you know how yeah. many more times do i need to go to tahiti and australia and how many how many waves do i need to catch until i've actually fulfilled the dreams i was dreaming of mm -hmm. so that kind of got a little uncomfortable towards the end on just getting another flight and another flight and catch another wave and yeah like surfing's an amazing thing to do and you're really immersed in nature and it's physically you know very demanding and you're really you know you're very fit and able and it's all great stuff but it's just about you like it's not really for anyone else it's mm. your pursuit of kind of a goal and kind of happiness or whatever but you're not really giving anything back when you go surfing it's a very yeah very self-obsessed uh sport in many ways wow interesting so what what then was the catalyst for you to switch into farming again um so yeah i was kind of doing this route that i'd stay in ireland for the winter and then come the end of the winter i'd go away for the summer and then go to the southern hemisphere which was winter again so endlessly chasing waves, endlessly on a kind of winter cycle. I didn't see an Irish summer for about, I don't know, six years or seven years or something. And not that it was much to miss, but it was still just strange to never have a full season in your life. Um, so anyway, I went off again on another uh, Southern Hemisphere trip and I was in Tahiti. And it was the time when the nuclear plant was sinking into the sea in uh, Japan. Yes, and I remember. I remember. Yeah. And I was surfing in Tahiti and I had a really uh, bad like hit off the bottom, basically. And I hurt my knee pretty bad. So mm. I didn't know how bad it would be if I was going to have to go home or would it get better. So I was staying with a friend sitting on his couch for like two weeks with a big swollen knee. Oh, feeling well, sorry for yourself. Feeling a bit sorry for myself, <laughs> but not really. Like I was sitting in Tahiti. Yeah. I was just wondering, like it was the start of my trip and I'd be away for three months and wondering if it was gonna have to go home or would it get better and I could keep going. Um, but anyway, I was sitting there watching, you know, the news and stupid things on TV while I was just kind of resting and um, watching this, um, yeah, disaster unfold in japan and i was just like oh my god that's like that's not good stuff like that's mm. 
really going to affect the world negatively for a long time. And I was in the same ocean, you know, I'm in Tahiti and Japan is, you know, across the water and just things started to kind of trigger in my head that I, I didn't like it. And then I'm like, I'm not really helping anything. I'm not doing anything to help, you know, these kind of problems or anything. So I, I suppose I just had this moment of, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. It wasn't, it wasn't good enough just for me just to keep enjoying myself while such disasters were going on in the world. So then I asked myself the big hard question is what is the best thing I can do? Like, where can I spend my time that's going to have the best impact and the most return for my short life on this little rock that we float around on? And, you know, I tried I tried it all. I sat down for, you know, I days on this couch. So I was like, you know, will I go off to volunteer in some aid organization or will I go and yeah, whatever. I was trying out all these different things and actually I was kind of messing around and realistic. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I was like, I know I, I, I didn't go to college. I've only ever surfed and grew up on a farm. And I actually said, I know exactly what I need to do. I need to go home, start growing some food and care for some piece of land. And yeah, learn, you know, learn how to do that well. And then hopefully try and pass that on to people in, in my community that, you know, because unfortunately, as a Western culture, you know, we've kind of made farming some... I don't know, like poor occupation that's yeah. meant to be for, you know, laborers and people who didn't go to school. Mm. But it's very, very important that we have farming correct and done well because it manages our water, our air, our food. It's mm. like the most essential job on the planet. But unfortunately, the Western culture of going through, you know, education and getting this infamous job that's going to be high paying and everyone goes for this goal, we have very few people trained in managing landscapes and growing good food and, you know, all these really important jobs. So I'm like, well, I actually have a unique position where I have a little bit of experience. I'm young enough to, you know, get into it for the next however many years and hopefully help this Western culture of Ireland to reconnect with, yeah, how we're going to manage it in the future. Because it isn't promoted through school. It isn't promoted mm. through the media. It's not promoted. It's not cool. It's not something yeah. that we should be pursuing. Mm. But mm. it's the most, to me, the, the most crucial occupation that we should be uh, encouraging people to get into. So I'm, yeah, I kind of just, I actually have some sort of duty to go back and learn the trade myself and then try and get the next generation to, yeah, get on board and get and see the importance of it and see how, it's actually the most complex, uh, exciting job you could ever uh, even think to go for. Like it's such a diverse and you need to have all sorts of skills. And it's just, it's the way it's been kind of told through our, yeah. our, our academia, I suppose. But yeah, that's kind of where it all kind of happened. And I had this vision straight away. I was 24, I think at the time, and it hasn't changed. I'm 34 now. And it's the exact same. It's still the same mission, still the same thing I'm doing every day. It changes in different, you know, aspects and different seasons, I guess. As yeah. Well. And yeah. what it looks like maybe doesn't look the same, but it's still the same motive, exactly mm. the same as it was then. 
It's amazing because I suppose like your success as a surfer at the time, was there an outcry in the surf community or indeed your sponsors just going like, what is he doing? Why is he walking away yeah, from this? There, there really was. Uh, <laughs> it didn't go down. It didn't go down very well. Um, <laughs> I remember. So I had the light bulb moment and I, I sat down. I wrote it all down on, on my diary and I was like, this is it. This is the plan. And so then I, I straight away, like very passionately emailed all my sponsors and my family and friends and everyone. And I told them my plans Wow. and I emailed all my sponsors saying like, this is it. And I basically called them out. I was like, as surf companies, you're you're selling this connection to nature and how we're you know so cool and you know somehow mm -hmm. it's got some image that's something to do with the environment that it's kind of good but it's just a company selling stuff but i'm like look as a company you could be a, a leader in this you know future world we're trying to create of companies that promote less travel and you know good products that last longer that cost more but you know we we're going to you know pay for it because it's all thinking of a bigger picture and uh obviously the 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 machine says no yeah but the but the individual who i emailed in each company like they're a human being and every one of them completely agreed with me and the, mm. everyone were just like you're totally right this is what we need to do but they can't go back to the shareholders and tell them we're going to change our, our, our profit, you know, margins by such a huge whatever. So it was really fun. It was, was kind of, you know, they weren't in, interested in supporting me. I lost all my sponsors pretty much overnight, but wow. they um, they got it like the individual got it. And like mm -hmm. one one company sent me a pack of seeds. You know, one told Bless. me a story. You're like, you know, thanks a million. <laughs> yeah, and it was just, it was nice to see yeah. that they got it. And yeah. one, one sponsor actually, he quit his job, the guy I dealt with, the manager, and he started a community garden in France. Oh, you know, wow. so there was a cool little thing happened. And yeah, yeah I was just, I was kind of, I knew I was on the right path. I didn't mind whatever. One sponsor actually kept with me for quite some time, um, uh, Nixon Watches, and they, so they have a team trip every year where all the team meet up and we go to Iceland and we go to different places. And so I couldn't go on the team trip because I don't travel anymore and I'm running a farm. Mm. So they brought the team trip to the farm the next year. That's awesome. And that, that was pretty cool. Like they brought a bunch of pro surfers to the farm and they all worked for a day brilliant and hung out so that was really cool but eventually they're a bit like you know like we can't really keep sponsoring you when you're not actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. doing what the job requires so um yeah. yeah but fair play that's such an inspirational thing especially as a 24 year old you know like i i've come to kind of my own i suppose inner truth or path or journey much much later in life so like fair play that you did it as 24 and that you really stuck to your guns like i suppose how do you measure success now as opposed to what you did prior to making that decision? Yeah, it's funny. I've been chatting about this recently to someone because it's the same in farming as well. Like, you know, there's no, there's new up and coming farms that would be kind of trendy and, you know, leading the way in regenerative agriculture. But some of them would be really putting the, the, the finances and the profit margin as the goal. Like mm. that, you know, that's the success story. If the farm is, profitable and you can have the modern industrial wage as well as farming then the farm's a success and I was only chatting about this to some farming friends of mine that I really don't think it's a good way to get into farming like it's mm. 
it's you're setting yourself up for a bit of failure really because farming is all consuming it's never ending it's never going to pay you for your hours and i just think we need to tap into a more of a you know the health is your wealth kind of motto yeah. that if you're healthy and you're well and you're you know mentally happy and you're enjoying what you do and you have a lovely environment to live in like that's that's what the money is for like the money is to buy you know time off to go and do nice things to buy nice food like that what is what money is actually essentially for money doesn't give you happiness by yep. default it's yep. to get those things that you actually can have through farming by default you yeah. know you are very physical and very you know active and fit and you're eating a good diet you're connected to nature and you're in a nice environment so straight away like that's wealth above you know a lot more than money that can create so obviously it's a challenge though because you know you you really do get um a bit sick of working hard and not having much money yeah and we have to live in a modern world where you have to pay for your car insurance and these annoying bills so that really you know there is a a friction there with the lifestyle absolutely yeah. that is a challenge but it's the wealth certainly for me isn't about the um the economic side of things it's more about the life you get to live and how happy you are in doing it um they're, they're the real goals for me yeah yeah beautiful i feel the same to be honest like it's um again how do you measure success you've said it you know money can buy you lots of nice things but at the same time it doesn't buy you your health it doesn't buy you the quality of no. life for me personally i need to feel very deeply connected within myself and i do that through nature and through living well and you know that kind of stuff um, yeah it's a, it's a big one that i i try to portray to people not sure about farming it's like you're not going to understand the value of farming like on the outset looking at it it's something you you will get to understand you know many years down the road like it's something mm -hmm. that you'll start to feel you know as you you know as you've planted say you know you planted a thousand trees in 10 years time as those trees are growing up around you and now there's birds there and then there's you know life happening because of what you've done there's mm -hmm. a there's a deeper happiness that you can never quantify in that that's so powerful that's more than any you know fancy car could ever give you mm. and that is where the magic lies in farming that you can't you can't see the value in it it's something that happens around you and you couldn't explain to someone why it's so good and it's those little subtleties and you know seeing your animals really healthy and mm. you know if you've got kids watching your kids run around in in lovely meadows like you know they're all things that are just you know so priceless yeah that you would never want to lose them but there's no value on them there's no monetary you can't pay for that absolutely so that that stuff is is very on it's very hard to quantify to someone why you know a, a lifestyle in farming is so you know nutritious in so many ways um for yeah. the soul not just the body totally like yeah. to wake up like i we're up at half i'm up at five five thirty every morning and I see every sunrise and like those little moments are just, you know, no one would choose to get up at 5 a.m., but it's magic, you know, yeah. even when it's blowing a gale and lashing rain, you know, there'll be a ray of sun that comes through the clouds and you, your day is made like it's kind of like that stuff is pretty spectacular, really. Absolutely. My dad always said that he said the very best part of the day 
was sunrise just sunrise when the world yeah. was just waking up but it's like you get that moment to yourself before everybody else kind of starts to get busy and there's something about the quality of the air at that moment as totally. well it's totally different to like even 8 a.m or 9 a.m yeah and um, all the animals know it like so mm. all the birds all that you know bird song everything's kind of just really kind of a special time to be yeah. in nature and it's yeah yeah you can't you can't pay for that really you can't really can't and i suppose like your background your parents were organic farmers and like is that something that you feel you want to pass on to your kids as well like is it, totally. it was intrinsically in you you know yeah and i i suppose when i sat down that time in tahiti and i looked at you know how i grew up and how i was living this rock star lifestyle of flying around the world i was like you know I didn't realize how privileged of an upbringing I had, mm. even though we didn't have a cent to our name as a family. Like we literally just about, you know, broke even as we did what we did. But like my dad was there every single day of the week, seven mm. days a week. You know, we all lived there. We all ate really well. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, most kids actually don't get that in a Western culture. And I, yeah, I really want to create that for my kids because it's, mm. it was a great way to grow up and it was, the best memories and whatever so i yeah i realized I, I at that time i remember sending my parents a letter just thanking them because i was like i didn't realize at the time how good it was of a lifestyle until mm -hmm. you grow up and you realize most yeah most westerners you know they don't, didn't have those childhoods um mm -hmm. and that's kind of sad so yeah i was really then even more thinking yeah this is definitely how, the way i would like to have my kids grow up and I guess as well, when you say you grew up and you didn't have a cent, but like l here you are, you know, and life always finds a way. There's That's so it. much value put on money. Money is only energy. You yeah. know what I mean? It can be created anytime, anywhere, brought in, brought out, yeah. not to have like this kind of callous sense of money, but it's not everything, you know? Certainly. Yeah. No, like, you know, my lifestyle of surfing was crazy. Like the more I traveled, the more I s consumed, the more I got paid. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, something's so fundamentally wrong about this. Like, mm. the more I put myself out there, the more I basically just, yeah, consumed whatever for myself, the more my sponsors, because it was all based on coverage. Like, so yeah. the more coverage yeah. you get, the more, you know, rewarded you got. And I just thought the whole thing was wrong. Like, I just thought this is kind of out of control. And, you know, I made loads of money and it was only for a couple of years, but I was like, it's not that hard like you actually can make money if you want but i i've chosen to put every cent i had it wasn't that much all into the farm and i'm much happier seeing it in living things you know in in mm. stuff that's growing than in a bank you know that doesn't do anything so no and it's actually depleting because it's sitting in bank accounts yeah. now depleting because of interest rates so yeah. <laughs> like you may as well put it into the land and really totally and i don't have any money but i don't want to do anything else so it doesn't really matter <laughs> there you go there you go yeah. it's perfect you found the perfect cycle let's talk a little bit about when i was again looking at your website okay so i would have always thought of you as an organic farmer but on the website you say regenerative agriculture what's the difference i don't know the difference what's the difference between regenerative and organic or is there a difference yeah, it's a good question. Um, and it's, you know, it's terminologies and words that people have been using now in this kind of modern world. So when I grew up, um, my dad was organic and there was seven organic growers in the country, I think, at the time. And wow. so he was quite pioneering in his ways. And anyone who was organic back in the 80s would have been 
you know, they would have been people who really cared and really were, you know, doing their utmost. But then as organic uh, got popular and makes its way onto the supermarket shelves and Tesco's or buying organic from Spain and Italy, the term organic lost its credibility, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all now in a, you know, red tape, form filling. They've, they've ticked the box that it's organic, but you could be destroying the soil and the environment just as much as the chemical farmer in our organic system now. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, like it's not, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's, it's better, obviously, than, you know, spraying, you know, chemicals, but at the same time, there's a lot of fundamentals in farming that we need to practice to look after soil. It's not just about removing chemicals and organics is essentially just keeping chemicals off the land. But you could have bare soil, plow agriculture, these kind of techniques that are, you know, the most common in all agriculture as, as well as organics, which, you know, wash away soil, release carbon, which aren't ideal. So mm-hmm. we need to if we're, you know, and people talk about sustainability and like that doesn't really work. We need to be building soil. We need to be making the world better, not worse or not even keep it. If we're trying to keep it the same when it's not in a good place, like that's not any good anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and they say nature, like things either go up or they go down. They don't stay the same. So if it's not going up, it's going down. And, you know, certainly the bigger organic kind of uh, operations would be pretty much in a degenerative system. I would say, um, wow. and they're done on massive scale with, you know, a lot of machinery, which again, isn't what we want to be, you know, going into in the future either. We want more mm. farmers essentially. Can I read, there's a bit on your website and I, t- I took it off the website cause I want to get it right. Okay? okay. So it says why regenerative agriculture, the loss of the world's fertile soil and biodiversity pose a mortal threat to our future survival. According to soil scientists, at current rates of soil destruction, i.e. decarbonization, erosion, desertification, chemical pollution, within 50 years, we will not only suffer serious damage to public health due to a qualitatively degraded food supply characterized by diminished nutrition and loss of important trace minerals, but we will literally no longer have enough arable topsoil to feed ourselves. Without protecting and regenerating the soil on our 4 billion acres of cultivated farmland, 8 billion acres of pasture land and 10 billion acres of forest land, it will be impossible to feed the world or halt the loss of biodiversity. I read that and I was like, that's frightening. It is a bit. <laughs> within, <laughs> I mean, not to sound dramatic about it, but within 50 years. And again, that goes back to your regenerative policy of building the soil rather than yeah. depleting it so how how do you do that like talk us through a little, that like kind of briefly i know it's going to be so complex to get really get into it but how do you do that on your farm moy hill farm yeah so it is as you say it's very complex um so yeah so this is what i i came from organic background and you know it was vegetables that my parents did so that's what i started and i was vegetarian for eight years mm. and thought that was great and you know growing vegetables is great but firstly, we got to think about it like for starters, vegetables are they take up a small proportion of the land you can grow a lot of veg in a small place. Um, mm. Now, the inputs, the fertility that goes into those gardens um, is then taken, for, taken from huge tracts of land, be it, you know, animal manures, 
or green manures or even trees or whatever it is mm. to make the fertility that goes into those gardens so people so don't are you talking about like bags of compost and stuff like that yeah, yeah. so compost okay. and fertility that you use to grow veg mm-hmm. so so horticulture is an input output system you put in nutrients and you get out vegetables mm. and that has to you know that has ideally been more inputs going in so it gets healthier every year mm. But it's a man-made system. There's nothing natural about growing vegetables in, you know, straight lines in a, you know, field off down the road. Like that doesn't happen naturally in the wild. That's a very man-made creation where we've cultivated wild plants into more palatable plants that we like to eat. And we do that with, you know, lots of efficiency. But it, and it can be done very well and it can be done in a way that's positive. But it is a very much an input and then an output system. Um, so it can be done well and we do it and it's very important I think people eat vegetables so we need to have them and do them as well as possible but by the, by its nature it's not a regenerative practice you know it doesn't build it doesn't build soil just because you're growing vegetables so thinking people eating vegetables they're doing a good thing for the environment yeah it's it's better than buying industrial meat for example okay yeah but it's not actually building any soil it's a lesser impact. It's a, it's a less of a negative okay. at the moment. Mm-hmm. But so so the the vegetable kind of craze and the green, you know, talking about, you know, being vegetarian or vegan or just eating more of a plant-based diet as a healthier and better thing for the, the planet, that's based off looking at an industrial meat system, which is hugely de- degenerative because mm-hmm. it's based on you know, feeding cows grain and overgrazing land and uh, winter housing animals, like all those things are hugely, massively negative. Like mm. why are we, pl- so we're plowing land to grow grain, spraying it with chemicals, and then we're feeding the grain to the cows that are inside. Yeah, there's just a million things that are yeah. so vastly wrong that, that that has made animals look like, you know, the worst thing in the planet. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a nice saying, it's not the cow, it's the how. And it's because nice. it certainly isn't the cow's fault or the sheep's fault or, or whatever. Um, it's how we manage them. So currently, it's this massive, you know, huge input system into animals. But essentially, uh, we were talking about herbivores like ruminant animals. They eat grass and grass grows from sunlight and rain mm-hmm. and cows or sheep or goats or deer lots of different things will eat it and their like their action of being a herd and walking across the land and trampling and dunging and urinating build soil that is how the planet was created that is how soil was built it wasn't from growing vegetables in straight lines it was from massive massive herds of animals being chased by predators so a herd is a herd because it stays together to keep safe mm-hmm. and there's a predator always following the herd mm-hmm. and the weak you know ones in the herd or the old or the whatever would have got taken and then the herd kept good genetics would have you know bred on and kept going mm. um, but it was all they were moving the herds were they could be in five ten thousand fifty thousand you know buffalo or bison or cows or whatever moving mm-hmm. along but they would be, you know they, they wouldn't stop so it's they would they say it would have been like 500 to 1000 cows per acre but they could be there That's for insane. but they could be there for 10 minutes yeah okay you know they're moving they're moving all yeah. the time yeah because yeah. something was behind them so there's just this crazy impact 
all this trampling, all this dung, urine, and eating all the grass, and then they mightn't come back for three months. Mm-hmm. You know, they do a big long meander for miles and miles and miles, and come back again. And that's how grasses, all of grasses, evolved by that. Grass grows and has to be cut. Mm-hmm. If grass doesn't get cut, it goes stale, it goes rank, and yeah. then you get brush and scrub coming in. Yeah, yeah, and. That's basically how soil is built. So what we now need to do is mimic that because unfortunately there isn't just wild land and we have roads and we have, you know, fences and private property. And so we don't have 10,000 cows roaming around Ireland or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Which They're is all... a lovely notion, but how, how do we do it now? That's the thing. Yeah. Now they do, they have done it in Africa where like they don't have any fences, but and yeah. people would have had two cows say, mm. but instead of some, every farmer managing their two or three cows, they've put 600 farmers together. Brilliant. And now they're managing a thousand cows and only mm. 50 of them need to do it. And the rest of them can do something else. Amazing. So, so they've got 600 cows moving around and the way more impact, they can build way more soil and it's more natural how it, it functions. Mm. But yeah, we don't really have that luxury here unless you get really friendly with your neighbor and you can join your two herds together. It's a dream of mine that I could get my neighbors to join our herds together and we could all manage them when they're on your farm. But that's a kind of a, a cool idea. Yeah. But anyway, for now, we basically mimic the the same thing where you make um, small little paddocks with electric fence and you keep them in there as much as t- as much as you're willing to move them, basically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once a day is my kind of uh, minimum and then tw- twice a day, if I have the time, is kind of wow. what I would try and aim for. But yeah, once a day, they get a small paddock and then you keep moving them. And that way they're getting... You know, they're going into lush, fresh grass and they get 10 out of 10 A grade grass. But by the time that day is up, it's not all gone. There's still quite a bit left. But the next morning, they're going back into fresh grass again. So Amazing. The quality the of problem, the produce is going to be phenomenal well, this is because it, the, of that. The huge problem with um, man, our management of livestock is that once you keep, like an animal goes into, it could be a 10 acre field and it could only be five cows. Mm. They'll go and eat the A grade grass the whole, whole way around. Mm. So the next day it's B grade and the next day it's C grade. You leave them in there for two or three weeks and they're gone way down the alphabet and it's got really nasty. And then you get parasites and then we're worming our animals and then they get sick and then there's vet bills. Then you're going into the chemical side of things as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. Whereas... There is no sick animals when you move them every day. They wow. go into fresh grass. It's how they've evolved. They're healthier. They're happier. Mm. And the mad thing is you end up having more grass and you can end up outwintering them longer. Wow. You, yeah. It just gets easier and easier. It's a daily chore, but most farmers check their cows every day anyway. So mm. you just have to set up. There is a challenge of water. It's having water in each paddock is a little bit of a yeah. logistic, but it's not that hard to do either. Um, so that's how you build soil essentially um, there's loads of other techniques like so what we also do is we have laying hens and we follow the cows and the sheep with laying hens because the problem is when we have a small farm you have a small herd a herd isn't a herd of animals until it's over 80 cows just wow. so you know okay it, the herd doesn't operate like a herd until it's over 80 I didn't know that it's that's something I, I read somewhere, which, yeah, it makes sense when there are massive herds. Yeah. So they're quite small. Like we only have, I don't know, like we'll have about 15 cows mm. and, you know, about 40 sheep. So it's very small. 
So you don't get the same impact as you would have when you had a huge herd. Mm. So what happens is, again, even in a small paddock, they'll still only eat the best of the grass and they don't eat the rougher stuff. And they don't. And what you want them to do is to trample the stuff they don't eat because mm. the stuff they don't want to eat is kind of coarse and yeah. not palatable. And that's very rich. That's very carbon based, mm. kind of getting more woody. But if you get if you leave it standing there, it'll just stand there and it'll mm. oxidize and do nothing. But if you get onto the ground and it touches the ground and it gets wet, it will break down. And then that is you storing carbon, essentially. Amazing. Wow. So that's what we need to do. But it's hard to get them to trample at all. So if you come in behind them with chickens or turkeys or geese or whatever, they um they're brilliant for um trampling because they just go over everything and they just walk over everything. Yeah, they're yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really good way to yeah to do that, and it really boosts the pasture, and it's yeah, and you have a byproduct of eggs or or whatever, and it's it's a great little uh, system. Now the only problem is it's based on inputs again. It's based on grain inputs, mm. so it's not an ideal system, um, but it's a way to build pasture and to build another product and another revenue into the farm. Wow. But long term, you'd ideally only have grazing animals because we need to get away from inputs like inputs is just you know that's the problem really it's well it's it's a problem when you talk about sustainability i suppose that's that's what you mean by coming away from the inputs yeah we really have to like you know you know we're getting there's there is no till grain farming which basically because tilling and plowing and this kind of actions mm. which is predominantly how most grain is grown is a real problem because it's you know you're turning you're basically breaking open the earth every spring and you're releasing all this carbon and you're having bare soil and then it rains and then soil runs off the land so every year soil is getting washed away mm. now there is no till you know farming which is becoming more and more popular um which is definitely the future mm. which can be done better um but still it's mainly plow agriculture at the moment yeah, um, yeah, yeah but even still it's you know the grain farming is all done with big tractors and there's all the transportation so it's just not ideal so it's what we're having to work with in the at the moment but um yeah so it's just interesting to talk about what's the best thing for the environment mm. and what's the best thing for your health like a lot of people tell me that the they only eat you know chi, you know white meat chicken or things of like this because they don't like the big uh you know think cows are the worst and it's so funny and and, and vegetables being the best and it's like almost the exact opposite like it's wow. cows are literally the best thing for the environment the best thing for your health if they're just eating grass that's been grown by sun and rain and nothing else like you don't really get better than that but whereas the inputs that go into the to the the poultry is a very industrial system, mm. and yeah, and same loads inputs into the the vegetables as well. But like it all can be done well. Every enterprise can be done, you know, at its optimum. Mm. But if you're looking at building soil and having low inputs, it's it's the animals that do that. It's just how they're managed is the key. That's the thing. It feels like there's not enough information out there regarding what you're talking about and as opposed to what's being sold in supermarkets and, you know, yeah. again, how it's all been sold to us is going to be packaged in a certain manner anyway, you know. Yeah, and there's some scary stuff happening with regenerative. So I use the word regenerative agriculture. There's biological farming, there's agroecology. There's loads of other words that kind of be a bit more details, but mm -hmm. regenerative is quite 
tan tangible to an anyone that it basically regenerates every year every year it has to be building mm. um but the word regenerative is being hijacked by like kind of modern tech farming where they're all about like super efficiency and but it's all just trying to still sell stuff to people which is just ridiculous so it's really hard for consumers to see through the kind of advertising yeah you have that to be is so a yeah you have to be so discerning i even feel like i mean i i've been vegetarian i've been vegan i've you know done you know mixed up my diet in various different ways to find what works for me but i look at stuff that's been sold now in particular in the last couple of years as vegan and it's absolute awful stuff yeah. and it's just because they slap a vegan title on it that people totally. think that it's healthier for them or they think that it's beneficial to the planet and it's absolute rubbish being sold yeah. to you you know so you have to be so discerning it's just it's it's, it's very hard for uh, advertisers to get on board with proper regenerative agriculture mm. because regenerative agriculture cuts out all the middle people. Yeah, it basically just goes back to the farmer and his land, and there's nobody else. But this is and what they I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah, and this is what I think is so beautiful because this is what I feel like the future is is like a decentralization on all scales of everything, yeah. and in particular our food chain. You know, when you look at the amount that Ireland imports is just criminal yeah. when yeah. we have I mean, I, you know, I read once that, that they used to call this they used to call Ireland land of the two crops because we have the, you know, the perfect um, climate to get two crops out of it. I don't know now if that fits in with your regenerative farming techniques, but in essence, what I'm saying is that like our, our land is so lush that we can it feed is, ourselves yeah. no problem. But yet we import yeah. vast amount of food. Yeah, no, it's all, you know, unfortunately to be pointing fingers, it really is the, the, the middlemen that mm. have taken the farmers don't like all the dairy farmers and beef farmers, like 98% of our dairy is exported. Like it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all yeah. these guys they're not creaming it it's the big co-ops in the middle that are mm. taking the dairy and exporting it and mm. it's all for food additives for processed food not it's not actually food it's not going out as cheese and butter and milk it's going out into food additives for wow. crap stuff that we don't even need so it's yeah for vegan stuff <laughs> yeah crazy you know powdered milk and all this kind of stuff so it's it is you know but the cool, there's two like really positive things that could change everything or not two ideas is like the power is in the consumer so like straight away the consumer can tomorrow say no and then they're finished and they mm. don't exist so that obviously doesn't happen overnight but the consumer has all to say and the other thing is the regenerative farming like practices that i'm talking about cost no money amazing so every farmer if they decide tomorrow to go into more of a regenerative kind of way of farming, they don't have to invest a cent. They literally just change their management. They change their philosophy and they operate differently. But like they have the fences, they have, you know, the tractors, even though they don't won't even need them anymore half mm. as much. Mm. It's like they don't have to go and buy anything new. They don't have to go down to Kerry Co-op and buy anything. So it's at our fingertips, you know, to, you know, tomorrow every farmer could be operating differently and the world would be radically getting better, like overnight. And that's, that's a nice feeling just to remember. And like a third of the world's land is in grassland. And at the moment, it's negative at the moment, like a lot of practices around the world is burning, like they burn off the grass at the end of the year that they didn't trample properly or whatever. Mm. 
and that releases more carbon. So there's, at the moment, it's very negative going the wrong way, but all of a sudden, with a different management, it can be storing. Like, so they say like something like, if we, in one year, if we literally manage the grassland properly, we would capture all the carbon that's being released at, at present by every industrial you know, system that's going, just wow. by a different management. That's incredible. So we don't need an electric car. We don't need a fancy new, you know, solution. It's literally in the thinking and the management. And mm. there, we don't need any fancy new ideas. It just has to be done well and very simply and empower mm. the farmers that they know. Like the farmers mm. actually even know all this stuff, but they've been sold this industrial dream of mm. having an easier life on a big tractor and, you know, all these different things. But yeah it's just uh it's kind of a dead end dream yeah it's a kind of a negative loop isn't it and i love that you raise the point about the power is in the hands of the consumer i always feel that because it's literally supply and demand and then in the states they talk about the power of the dollar we have the power to do it because like you say you either buy it or you don't you don't buy it it goes off the market exactly you know so i think it's the most powerful vote you'll ever have like mm -hmm. never mind going for it election or, or voting anyone in different like they politicians you know all these they can't do that much they really can't yeah. like as much yeah, as they yeah. may care it's it's down to the consumer that is the most powerful vote out there absolutely like, everything will shift depending on where the money goes and that actually brings me to like my my buzzword for the last two years has been sovereignty that's like sovereignty literally means to self-govern as you know yeah but it you know sovereignty within every area of your life sovereignty but in particular sovereignty of your finances and how you consume and where you spend them but also food sovereignty so like i got into growing recently again in the last couple of years because i again i had this kind of innate fear i want to say of um of being hungry and it was a real um mindset that i had to switch out of and I do feel it was kind of a generational thing. It was a fear of being hungry the entire time. And I suppose when I switched out of it, it was when I switched into my own food sovereignty and sovereignty in all different areas of my life. And I did that by growing my own food, foraging for food, which I love as well. Wild foraging is just amazing when you have a bit of know-how. Um, and it really took the pressure off me feeling, oh, my God, I have to get my food from a supermarket. And what if the yeah. shelves are dry or all that kind of stuff for anybody else who's out there who's like listening and living in cities or urban areas? How would you encourage them to kind of nurture their own food sovereignty in a sense? Yeah, everyone's context is very different, so it really depends. But like if you have any kind of space at all, like, you know, the, the fish crates that wash up on the shore, mm. um, they're always a great way to start. Just fill up a couple of fish crates. You have half a dozen lettuce, a couple of kale plants, mm. and you just straight away, you just feel kind of empowered that you've got something of your own. Yeah. And mm. even like, um, you know, there's a thing called microgreens. I'm sure people know about, you can buy the little tiny shoots. Yeah. Um, you know, people say, why don't we grow them? But it's like, I've got soil and land to manage. Yeah. You can do that. You know, you can do that on your window. You can grow pea shoots or, you know, mm. little radish, whatever. And yeah, it's nutritious. It's there on your windowsill. It's very easy. And then the next thing is going, you know, if you, if you haven't, if you've got a garden, then go for it. Like start, make yeah. one bed one year, make two the next and then make four and then make eight and then make 16. Yeah. And then all you know, you've got an acre out the back and you're, fed your family for the year and it's amazing isn't it 
you very quickly can you know learn the, the skills very quickly but yeah. if you don't have access to that is find the farmers like they are there there isn't many but they are there and support them like wherever mm. you know the local farmers market ask them quiz them what they do like are they organic and are they doing anything more than organic and this kind of stuff and you know even by pushing them like if they see see if everyone wanted to eat regenerative food tomorrow we would all starve and that would be the end of it wow. because it doesn't exist mm. it's not out there there is no regenerative farmers on any scale so we are fed by industrial food industrial model that's what feeds the majority of us mm. so if the majority of us went looking for regenerative food tomorrow the farmers wouldn't have it to, to give you mm. but if it was there the farmers would obviously see there's a demand for it and they would start you know farming in that way so it's a chicken and egg thing all the time yeah who's going to come first and i actually think the consumers are ahead of the farmers at the moment because the consumers are definitely uh over the advertising and yeah the wash of you know processed food and we're seeing so many of the research and health problems and all this yeah. stuff it's all coming out in the wash now at this stage so i think if the farmers had the good access now if they could then advertise themselves to get out there it is that whole who's going to come first but i think the consumers will come if the farmers are there yeah and that's so go out there and ask farmers and research online and some of the like the meat producers will you know post around the country and different things like that and and give them you know your support and have, you know yeah. pat on the back and tell them keep it up because we need we need more farmers that are actually because the hard thing now is if you're a regenerative farmer and you're moving your cows or whatever twice a day and you're doing all this extra work you still sell your produce for the same as everyone else mm -hmm. and you, there's no difference yeah so for a farmer who's organic at the moment they're like well what's the point you know i'm yeah I get this price if I do twice as much work I get the same price and no one seems to value it yeah so it's very hard to get someone to go an extra mile when they're already not making any money yeah and they already don't have any time so even just by telling them that you care and you want you know the best stuff they might do the extra bit you know mm. they might move the cows a, a day earlier if they can and then you're going to benefit yeah, and then in they'll the, find the knock-on effect for themselves within their own farming practices. Totally, it's it all has to come kind of together, and mm. that's that's the challenging bit. Is like trying to get that tipping point where it, it's all going and on the right thing. Like my biggest concern in this uh, this whole phase we now live in is, yeah, the information can get out there, the consumers can learn it, um, the farmers can shift. But the main thing is we need more farmers and we yes. need more people who want to do this in the you know right way. Mm. And who's training them? Who's teaching them? And where are they? Because they ain't coming through Chagas. It ain't coming through any agriculture college. Yeah. So that's my mission really is. So I'm, I'm kind of toned down. We used to do a lot of different events and mm. you know, a lot of different things with the public and people would come to the farm. We used to have a tour once a month. But it's all well and good having these local consumers getting it but i can't feed everyone yeah and i i want to have more up-and-coming good farmers so now we mm. run this internship for the season um from april to october six months and it's you know it's 10 hours a day they're up at five with me every morning mm. and they do the whole season and they get a full-on you know boot camp on what it's like to run a farm brilliant and majority of them will run away and never be farmers ever again <laughs> because they realize it's not for them. But the ones who come through, 
you know, they're, they're going to be hopefully trained and ready to go and they can start a farm and they can really do it in the right way. And Amazing. that's what I'm, I'm hoping to just keep doing every year. And then hopefully those interns will take on interns and have that domino effect because yeah. that's the only real learning is the peer-to-peer, like people who are doing it on the ground and they can tell. And it's not even about the regenerative farming stuff. Like that's the easy stuff. Like that's the mm. fun. That's mm. the joyous. It's how you get this stuff out to consumers and how you, you know, distribute it. How do you market yourself? It's like that stuff is so boring and so tiring, <laughs> yeah. but it's like it's literally half the job as a farmer. And yeah. that's the hardest bit. And that's why we have a real sh- block with conventional farmers, because mm-hmm. most conventional farmers are never, ever going to stand at a market stall or and talk about deli- their practices yeah. and really be passionate about it yeah yeah no. so it, we need a whole new up-and-coming culture of farmers mm. who kind of are taking the whole thing on i, I and I, like i i actually remember you talking about that in a social media post a couple of years ago and, and like you said you said we need more farmers and that really struck a chord with me um when you look at our history as a nation i suppose at one point i think there was like 80 percent of us were farmers if not yeah. more and it, I don't know what the percentage is now, but it's certainly not that. Again, when you talk about young people coming through and trying to learn the practices of farming, yeah, there's probably a couple of courses out there, but they're not in the way that they need to be when you talk about regenerative farming. And I've been on, I've been lucky enough to been on your land and it's absolutely cracking. It's really beautiful. But I, I suppose it's fair to say that's very mixed land. And yeah. I guess the point that I'm coming to is that for f- young farmers coming up, they don't have to have this traditionally, you know, expensive, really lush, prepped land ready to farm on, that they can, in fact, start using this very mixed land and buy it at a much more competitive rate and start small and start there. Am I, am I right in saying it? Yeah, or? yeah, totally. Well, nearly all kind of radical, you know, up and coming farmers are on poor land mm, like you know mm, if you go to mm. west wales and places in west, west of ireland is where most of the organic farmers are yeah like you know the good land is in the hands of people with money and mm. people with money think a bit different often so mm. it's unfortunately like all the best prairie land and stuff in america it's all chemical farmers like you oh, know the, God, yeah, it's yeah. The, the the rough land is where you find the eccentric kind of oddballs doing different things yep and it I, is it, this, this this is one of the biggest hurdles so unless you inherit land or you're a millionaire how do you start farming Mm -hmm. because if you want to buy you know if you want to be into animals and you want to buy 200 acres and it's 10 grand an acre you know you need to to start with yeah yeah and if you're trying to do it as a young person because you know farming you want to be getting at it for 30 40 years to Mm. really make some change on that land Mm. so if you're trying to start start a farm and you know you're not even 30 do you have millions in your back pocket like You've either got a really wealthy daddy or you're going to inherit land. Mm. And they're basically the options for people getting into it. So it's very tricky mm. on that practical sense. But so the low, low line fruit is the up and coming. Uh, it's the, the kids inheriting the farm, obviously. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of the cool thing about Ireland is the, the kids that are inheriting the farm of my generation all went off to college. And they all went down the road of academia and mm. they've gone to Australia and they've done all this stuff and they've realized actually they liked farming <laughs> and yeah. it was fun. And actually sitting in an office in Dublin isn't what they want to do. Yeah. And they're like, hold on, actually, my dad's going to retire soon and I want to go back to farming. And but I don't want to do it with, 
you know the conventional whatever system i want to do something a bit more exciting and mm. you know give back something to the community that i'm living in or whatever so there is that there is a small percentage of conventional farmers uh, that i'm hearing you know going back to the farm with a different idea so that's positive yeah so much potential in that but we need to create a system where the retiring farmer and the kids don't want to take it over or there is no kids um how does that land get into people that are trained up and ready to go like mm. there is organizations in france for example that have uh, systems where you do proper two-year internship you know through half a dozen farms of all different types and then you do you know a year on the farm with the farmer who's retiring and they you know break them in and show them the whole farm and then you you get like lifetime lease so it stays with wow. the family it's still the family's farm yeah but you get to invest your life in it because it's how you know le leasing something for 15 years and then it goes like that's a pretty traumatic experience yeah. mm -hmm. you know where you've started a family and you've got a business going like and people often say to me oh i'd love someone to manage my land it's like well you have to be willing to give them a lifetime lease or yep. 35 years or yep. something because they need to make a career out of it otherwise it's it's not really worth it so mm. that is a huge legal uh, complicated area that needs to be done well and i totally respect farmers to for not doing that at the moment because there's nothing worse than trying it out and they weren't the right people and then you know things like squatting rights and all sorts mm. of horrible stuff can happen with land and land is you know very emotional stuff mm. so we gotta get that right but there needs to be a way that a trained up you know up-and-coming farmer has all the skills but they just don't have you know the revenue to go and buy land and land doesn't even go for sale that often so it's just it's trying to match that uh, for people who don't have you know kids coming up or they want someone else to manage it or whatever that there is long-term arrangements because that that would be a game changer definitely definitely breaking yeah. new ground pardon the pun yeah. <laughs> um let's talk for a second about i suppose how you feel when you're on the land do you feel like you have a deeper connection to yourself through the land would you say that there's a kind of through that connection there's more an intuitiveness to farming than just what you can learn via apprenticeships or college or anything else. Like, do you think there's a kind of a spiritual element to the land? Uh, totally, yeah. Like that would be definitely, uh, yeah, I'd be a, a, a religious person. And, you know, I, I like going to church of any kind. I, I like the ceremony of things and, you know, connecting to a bigger, a bigger thing than us. Is, and I think being on the land is very much a part of that, mm. you know, like, and you really got to see farming in a, like, I don't see this farm being anywhere close to where I want it to be. I'm thinking when I'm about 87, it might be getting close ish. <laughs> I'm, that's when I'm thinking it might start slowing down a bit. Cause, um, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Cause it is, it's, you know, land is been going through our, you know, you know our hands for thousands of years and it's mm. all been passed on and cared for and mm. you know you have the native american saying of every decision they would make is for the next seven generations Beautiful. and like those kind of thinkings and being on the land and knowing that kind of stuff it's it's powerful stuff like it really mm. does you know uh feel quite i don't know like you're connected to something very big that's far beyond yourself mm. it's not about me it's not about the now it's 
obviously we got to enjoy the now and then mm. you know make sure we're not just flogging ourselves for some unknown good but it's it's it is all for a greater purpose and mm. i think getting into that psyche of you know that's how you see the world it changes how you are like it changes yeah. how you are are to people and are to the land and it's it's a very nice place to be because you kind of you, i don't know you get more patient and you're not as headstrong or whatever because it's it's not about you like no it's, it's really not it's selfless i feel like i feel like it, again something that i came to recently is that i'm in service yeah to the greater good whatever that That's may be it. and like you said not not to flog yourself because yeah. there has to be boundaries and self-love within that but to be in service to something greater and everything everything just works out perfectly when that minds when you adopt that mindset is what i found yeah. anyway if you can let go like if you can kind of yeah. let go into that space and yeah. just go it is what it's meant to be yeah and just trust the process and mm. you're kind of just going along for the ride and yeah and i try and explain to some people sometimes that you know in those early mornings we're seeing the birds or the trees or whatever little stream you are the stream the bird the tree yeah. and, and not so corny away but basically you're just a part of it all like it's not it's not anything weird it's just like i'm playing my bit and they're playing their bit yeah and we're all just acting out our roles and yeah, yeah. all these cycles of energy just moving together constantly it's just a constant yeah. change it's gorgeous and it's a beautiful way to live whether you're in a city or on land on a daily basis to try and live in that mindset of like just work it's a very healthy place because mm. you, you really get out of the way like you get out yes. of you know all the stuff and the you know, you're not you're not rushing to the you know the the nine a.m. news to see what's going on. You know, you just you're just looking at you know that bird flying past or whatever. Yeah. So it's like that's what's important. You know, I get there's world news that we may need to keep up to date on, but at the same time, that can really mess with your head. Like that's it can, and you can't control it either. No. As in, you can't control anything outside of yourself. All you can that's control it. are your own emotions and what's happening in yourself. I can't even control what's happening in this room. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so why then worry about it? And like you said, that comes back to what you're saying is just surrender into every moment and then sure, it's grand. It's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, it's a real thing I saw on, at the very beginning of this project, we had a community garden, which is still there. And we'd have a lot of people there and I just got to witness, you know, on a very small micro level, like literally as soon as you do anything that's positive, whatever it is, mm. the world's fine. Like everything's yeah. great. <laughs> Cause once you're a part of something positive and what you did is positive and afterwards you feel good cause it's positive and you come back and it's still positive. You're now in a positive, you know, cycle yes. and it doesn't really matter what's going on then as long as your actions are good, but that's, why we have such a problem with like depression and stuff is if, if people are doing jobs that are genuinely of no service mm. and are even negative to the environment, mm. like it's very hard to have a good, you know, med mental state, you know, and that's, that mm. must be challenging. Whereas if you can get onto a positive train of whatever it is, it's, it's very easy to stay kind of, yeah, to stay yeah. on that upbeat train. And they always say as well, I'm not sure who said this, but I read it recently and it's the only, the only part I'm paraphrasing I'm not going to get it right but the only the only way to save the world is to save your little corner of it that's it you know yeah. that because you can't you can't do it all or save it all so it's just yeah. like just take care of your own stuff and you're yeah you're, you're good to go because I used to, I, I ran for uh, election a few years ago and uh, mm. yeah I wouldn't wish that on anyone um, 
<laughs> and you know with the big ideas of like trying to make bigger change yeah. and you know trying to really like you know go for it and all this kind of stuff but yeah i'm glad i did that early on and now i've kind of calmed down in my thinking because mm. literally nothing happens from the top down it never has it no. never will no. it only comes from the ground up Absolutely. with concrete you know baby steps one step at a time like that is where things will last will come from like mm, that's that's where I lasting guess, change is born exactly so i think remembering that and not getting too wrapped up in the big mm-hmm. huge problems that we feel like we can you know flick of a switch change things tomorrow it doesn't happen that way like Absolutely. That's, that's just kind of moving shapes around around at the top but actually everyone changing on a fundamental basic level each day is stuff that last and i think that's where we need to focus really absolutely i couldn't agree more like changing yourself first and foremost and your own practices within your life and that like i always say as well you know is one thing about okay i know there's an irony when that i'm doing a podcast but it's not about preaching it's about for me i suppose living um living my values and that kind of emanates yeah. from me and that's what i get from you and sal and your lovely young family is that you guys live your word and you live your values and so that's an inspiration in itself that's how you change the world it's not by like you said running for for yeah. you know political parties yeah no it's it, it's the only thing that works and it's funny you say about running a podcast though because i didn't understand podcasts at all a few years ago and when i did one i was like i don't understand why i need to be on the computer for so long (laughs) but um you know an interview is trying to get sound bites and you know trying to glitz and glam something up whereas you know we're just having a conversation talking about different things and that is real like and that's Mm -hmm. and that is why podcasts i think are doing so well and people want to hear real life stories of what's going on and i i now really get them and now i really understand whereas Mm. before i didn't understand but it's um we want real we want depth of what's going on in the world not just news flashes and yeah the news the news bites like i've done you know as an actor i've done so many interviews across tv and radio over the years and you're really given kind of seven to ten to maybe 15 minutes that's you know and and that's all great because you're promoting what you're promoting and that's fine but like you said podcasts are i mean we're over an hour now we'll probably go on a little bit longer um like it's it's the in-depth and i see it as an invitation so here is the invitation for people to listen they don't have to listen you know what i mean so that's what's beautiful about it like if it it pricks up someone's ears and they go oh my god i love what he's talking about then they go hey and you know they'll they'll get more in depth yeah and i know i don't think i ever did an interview that they ever got the information right either (laughs) they always got it wrong whereas at least in an hour like someone will get what you mean by the end of it (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely absolutely ferg thank you so much um i'm going to finish this out with a little a little quiz a little live wild quiz if that's okay yeah okay um so this is the live wild we call it the live wild pop quiz it's not really a pop because you know anyway it's the live wild quiz what is the biggest wave you have ever surfed Probably here in Ireland, in Clare, I'd say. Probably at the Cliffs of Moher, that's my guess. Wow. That's, like, to be able to surf out there, that was obviously, must have been a tow-in, was it? It must have been. It was, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, don't, I don't tow in that much, but I remember I did once out there, and it was probably one of the biggest ways, I'd say. And what do, you, what do you think 
uh, I don't want to be getting into the nitty gritty. What do you think height wise? I'm just so curious. I used to surf not nowhere near on the level that you did. I don't know. Like my passion for surfing was surfing really good quality waves, like really powerful, good waves. So I remember even the day that we were out there, we were gutted that it wasn't that good. It was too big kind of thing. Wow. So kind of just for fun, we just towed into a few waves and then went home. But it probably was one of the biggest waves. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. It could have been 30 feet or 40 feet. I don't know. Oh but it's, it's, not, it's not the good part of surfing. Surfing for me is when you're surfing really good quality waves. Absolutely. The, yeah. That's but the real buzz. Still, though, that's insane. You know, for people who are just listening, that's an insane, huge wave. Wow. Um, okay. What is your favorite vegetable and why? <laughs> um... I didn't. I don't know. Actually, I I I I definitely like nearly all vegetables. Um, uh, Jesus, squash. I like squash. Like pumpkins. Yeah. I love pumpkins as well. I just think yeah. they are the best crack as regards vegetables. That they're, they're my potato. Um, that's because potatoes are a very dig system, and I don't like to dig the soil much. So ah. I don't grow so many spuds anymore and I grow a lot more squash. Mm, you need and space. They're really, tasty. they're really, really tasty. And you can make sweet sweet and savory from squash. That's what I love yeah. about them. Um Do you believe there's magic in the land? Uh no. No. Nope. <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah, sure it's all magic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. What do you stand for? Yeah, I stand maybe for trying to make the my little corner a little bit better each day that's really what i work towards and yeah trying to be of service to the whole Mm, lovely if you were to distill yourself down to an essence what would be your essence jesus i don't know uh soil (laughs) yeah (laughs) a mineral yeah uh a stubborn rock or something (laughs) (laughs) Um, what's the wildest thing you've ever done? Uh, I'd say the wildest thing I've ever done was embarking on a journey with my wife, Sally, I'd say. Awesome. 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 Yep. It's a wild ride. (laughs) It certainly is. Um, what is the one thing you do every single day that helps you live wild and free? Uh, I try and do my yoga every day. That helps. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really, really, really enjoyed the conversation. It's just been illuminating um, and very inspiring. So thank you. Thank you, Hilary.